When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor in the Lord, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What powerful word to say, especially in a passage that's very much about the life that is to come. He says that what you're doing now is not going to be lost. It won't be burned up. It won't be put away when the new things come. Where, O death, is your sting? Well, whatever death brings into this world... It will not be the final word, and whatever your labors are, here and now, are not in vain for what is to come, the new creation that is to come. Sharon's an extremely patient person. Uh, I hate doing projects where you wind up having to repeat um, uh, some, some function because you, you, you did this one thing, but you knew that long-term it was going to turn into this other thing. And so, unfortunately, what that means is there's a whole lot of undone projects around our house, uh, uh, beds. We have a big bed in our backyard that we've been waiting for years and years to, to get it all right so that we could start making it come because if you'd have put little things in, and there was a time when I did. When we first moved in, I put some things in there, but the bed wasn't really ready, and they haven't survived the process. So I don't like investing time in things that are going to have to be redone later on. And so Sharon has to be really patient. Because sometimes the things that are going to be done later on just seem to never quite get there. You know, it's exactly the opposite with God. When God says, I'm coming back, we can be sure that he's coming back. If God says that he's going to renew all things, we can be sure that whatever our imagination of what that renewal is about is going to be superseded a hundred, a thousand fold in what God is going to do. Just amazing the way God brings all our little labors done in the name of the Lord and moves them forward. Not that we can ever bring in the new creation, but he says, don't think that your labor now doesn't point towards and invest in what is to come. We don't really know much about the circumstances of this relationship, but the book of Colossians, which if you were here in the fall, we studied, and then also the book of Philemon, two of Paul's letters that are closely tied to each other. We don't know whether Paul was in prison in Rome or whether Paul was possibly in prison in Ephesus, an imprisonment that we don't really read about in other parts of the New Testament. But somehow or another, a runaway slave named Onesimus came into the relationship with Paul the Apostle while Paul was in prison, and Paul was able to befriend him. Paul was able to convert him. Paul was able to to utilize him in his ministry. And, and Onesimus was a, a blessing. Onesimus means useless. And Paul said, no, 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 he is 
ultimately useful for the gospel and for me and those kinds of things. But what he came to discover, and I don't know that this happened instantaneously, but at some point he realized that Onesimus was a slave, a runaway slave, but he was a slave of one of the members at one of the churches that Paul had relationship with, the church in Colossae, who he wrote the letter of Colossians to. And as Paul penned Colossians, and then probably as he, as he wrote the last letters, sentences of that letter, he also realized, I need to write a personal letter to a man named Philemon, again, the book of Philemon, who was the owner of Onesimus. And in the letter of Colossians, and in particularly the way he makes his case in the letter to Philemon, Paul decides it's a pretty good chance that the letter to 2 Corinthians was written well before Colossians and Philemon. And in 2 Corinthians, which we're just about to read, I just want to remind you of it. We've read it before in this series. It says, when Christ comes, all things are made new. And I have a feeling that for a long time, from the, from the minute that Christ intervened in Paul's life, he just discovered all these things that were being made new. That the law that he had given himself to so, so steadfastly and so meticulously keeping all the little parts of it had no, no bearing on his relationship with God. That was by grace through faith. That Jesus had done something that the law could never do. And my guess is in some of those conversations as Paul looked around the world and particularly when he moved from being a person who lived in Judea around Jerusalem out into the wider Greek, Hellenistic, Roman world, he saw over and over the stench of slavery being so ingrained in the culture, such in what, what many would say, it's an essential part of, we can't, we can't live without this. And yet Paul slowly but surely worked his way till some of the latest material we have from Paul, Colossians and Philemon, become messages that say, if all things are made new, and if the dignity of humankind is so integral to God and his love, then slavery can't stand. Now, Paul didn't lead a slave revolt. He followed Jesus. He just said what was right, and then he acted into what was right and encouraged everyone around him to act into what was right. But what he knew was is that there was something old that was passing away and that something new was coming and that slavery needed to be left in the old and freedom for the slave. Just as God gives all of us freedom from our sin, somebody say amen. If you haven't experienced that, you, you don't really know what freedom is, no matter what your station in life is. Paul said, if freedom is what Christ brings us through forgiveness, then freedom needs to be for everyone. It was hundreds of years, centuries even, before slavery really left the face of the world. And unfortunately, we live in a world today where there is still slavery at work. Different forms and different ways, particularly in the sex trafficking uh, world and in other parts of the world uh, this is a real and earnest fear but what we know is is that in Christ the old things have passed or are passing and the new is coming 
Let's read together one more time. I realize in this series we've visited this passage several times, but let's read one more time from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to open the chapter at verse 1, and then we'll skip down a little bit later. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we're waiting for something new. We're waiting for something better. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. It's an interesting language here. Because so often what we do with these verses is say, yes, yes, someday uh, I'll die and this flesh will be no more and there'll be something better coming. But maybe there is also in this passage the idea that I want to get rid of all that old clothing, all that old wardrobe. I want to do away with it right here and right now. Some of you who've done that miraculous thing of going from having too much around your waist to, to really putting it off, have to get a whole new wardrobe. Well, when we get rid of the things that God wants us to get rid of, we're putting on new clothing. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that is what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. And I want to, you to understand, the language here is not just about after death. The language here is about here and now because we have put the old self to death and we've been raised to new life and therefore we want to be clothed with the things that are like heaven so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us a spirit as a deposit. Notice now how the language specifically kind of turns to a present and a now. The spirit's a deposit. It's with us now, guaranteeing what is to come. Now let's skip down to verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. Compels us to do so much. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live in this life, right now, for themselves, but for him who died for them. For him who died for them and was raised again. A life that reflects the resurrection right here and right now. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Here's this critical sentence. If anyone is Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. The old has passed, and the new has come. This is a, a difficult thing to grab a hold of. Because all of us, as humans, are really kind of tied into that holding on to the familiar. How many of you have struggled with a whole new way of doing life as this COVID thing kind of played itself out? I talk to people, every, every week I talk to people who've lost track of what day it is because our routine has been turned absolutely upside down. So we are not creatures that embrace letting go of the old and, and, and running towards the new naturally. That has to be something that the Spirit does for us. Uh, you're gonna, you've already heard, and they've announced Micah and Hannah have gotten married, and, and, it, and it's a powerful way in which their lives have dramatically changed 
because of one moment. Now, it built up for a long time to that moment, and then from that moment, things are going to build for a long time. And that transition, any of you who are married know what I'm talking about, that transition of seeing life from the perspective of, I'll take care of me, to a powerful sense of, there is no taking care of me without taking care of this other person. That's a difficult transition because something old has passed away. Not that it was sinful, just something old has passed away and something new has come. And we all know in our own lives, individually, that as much as the waters of baptism have taken us from an old life to a new life, have taken us from sinfulness to a state of forgiveness, of complete forgiveness in Christ, through the blood of Christ, we know how hard it is for our lives to have a reality that reflects the spiritual thing that's gone on. There is no more sin that, that I'm accountable for because Christ, the blood of Christ covers me, but there is still sin that I must confess and I must invite the Spirit to come and transform me. Old things and new things. Old things. In a world where the brokenness of sin have had its sway for thousands of years. And yet we are pointing towards a new creation that has been deposited in Christ, has been deposited in our lives through the Holy Spirit, and has been deposited in our life, a life with a guarantee of what is to come. But there's so much more coming. And God invites us to be His agents. His ambassadors, he'll say later in this passage, to be his ambassadors of the new that is coming. A new that is, but a new that's continuing to unfold. An old that was, but still hangs on, doesn't it? Some implications to that, and I'll invite you to follow me in these four ideas. First of all, if we're going to be living out of the new and into living out of the old and into the new then we're going to have to do diligent discernment of what the old things that need to give way to the newness of Christ are. It's really easy for us to say, uh, I've, got to, I've got to put sexual immorality out and I've got to have sexual wholeness in. It's easy for us to say that. It's really easy for us to say, we've got to put away greed and lust of all kinds and we, and we need to be rejoicing and content in what we have. It's easy for us to say, my language has to, has to find a way not to be corrupted by the brokenness of the world and it needs to be renewed in Christ. But there's so much more. We look around the world. And we don't just have to look around the world. We can look around our country. We don't have to look around our country. We can look right here in our community. And we find things that linger. Broken things that linger. Old things that linger. And we have to step into something that's greater and more. Poverty is a stain in the world. Somebody say amen. By the way, Jesus said... When, when the woman came and anointed his feet, Jesus said, the poor will always be with you. And we somehow or another take that as an excuse not to have to worry about the poor. When in reality what we see is as soon as the church kind of got its feet under it in Jerusalem, 
it immediately began taking care of the poor. So somehow or another, what Jesus meant by don't bother her because she's investing in something eternal, you're still going to be smelling what's on my feet right now. You're going to be smelling that again when I come back to life. I don't know if that's what he meant, but don't bother her. But what he didn't mean by that is that we don't need to have a great concern for the poor. And I would say that rampant poverty is something of the old way. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, I'll tell you this. I think the new is going to look a lot like Eden. And in Eden, there was plenty of food for everyone. And I want to be sure and say that I realize completely that the problem of poverty and hunger in the world is not just a food problem. Uh, talk to Jerry Miller. Jerry will tell you how, the, how there's enough. This country by itself can nearly make enough food to feed anybody who's hungry in the world. And I understand there are political things that go on that keep food from getting to individual homes and individual people, particularly children. But maybe even that needs to be our concern as well if we're investing in putting away the old and pointing towards the new. How much discernment have you done in your life? And again, we can reflect on sin and its effect on us individually. But how much discernment do you do about your family and how it represents putting away the old and stepping into the new? How much discernment do you do? And, and do you pray for our elders as our elders make decisions about how they put away the old and step into the new? Do you ever pray for our world and ask God to lead you to see ways that you can make, even though it's very small, make a difference in the broader world? Secondly, I don't know if you'll like this one or not, but making the world a more beautiful place to work and live is stepping out of the old and into the new. And you say, but the beauty salons are closed. I can't make the world a, better, a more beautiful place to live. And, and this isn't simply about taking good care of your flowers. And it's not about tying yourselves to a tree so that the big bulldozer, that it's, it's more efficient to build a square building rather than to work around two and three hundred year old trees because it's cheaper that way. I would ask if it's really cheaper if you're destroying something that God's been working on for two or three hundred years. And I'm not trying to be a radical environmentalist or anything like that, but I do think the beauty of the earth, it's just so hard to, it's just so hard to ignore. It comes down to little steps that make sure that, that we take good care of the, of the bees that live around us so that they can pollinate, so we can continue to have that. That makes sure that we, we don't damage environments like the frogs live in which are such a delicate thing the butterflies as well we need to be careful about those things but but that's not really what i want you to invest in because i see beauty and love as being synonymous things for god god loved his creation and he he, he created all this beauty in it the opposite of beauty is chaos the opposite of love is fear I don't know what we will have to do, and I don't know what contributions we'll have to make, but I can promise you that when we can make the world a less fearful place for every single person, then we've done something good for God. Somebody say amen. Talked about poverty a minute ago. If we can make the world a place where 
Every child doesn't go to bed thinking, where will the next meal come from? That fear. But see, it's more than that. Can we make the world a place where no one has to work in, walk into a workspace with the fear that somebody is going to be abusive to them, that somebody's going to manipulate them in a way that they're not comfortable with? And when we as Christians stand up and say, we're not going to let that happen, particularly when we stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves, then we are investing in the beauty that God puts in every single individual. Beauty that he says represents and is 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 an image of his goodness. I think it's worth investing in making the world a more better, a more beautiful place. And yes, ladies, I really do hope that you get your wish and the salons are the next thing that the governor opens up. That was intended to be a joke. You can laugh now if you want to. Third, we've got to be people who are working for justice and equality. And that needs to be something that starts in our individual lives and then, yes, goes into the larger world around us. Uh, the prophets are unbridled in their condemnation of Israel because they did not stand up for injustice. Jesus came and he quoted the prophets consistently and he empowered some of the least powerful people in his world by his actions. He brought a justice that wasn't about uh, being a political character but was about the way he lived. And we need to think about how that has implications in our families. That isn't that the kids run the roost. That's not what God has in mind. But the idea that every answer to every sentence for every parent is because I said so is not standing up for equality and justice in your home. And I'll promise you that mindset has an implication in your relationships outside of the home as well. Galatians says, Paul wants to get this point across that in God's eyes we are all the same. He says there is no Jew nor Greek. Can y'all say it with me? There is no slave or free. And there is no male or female. And what we know, just like Jesus didn't mean you don't concern yourself with the poor when he said your poor will always be with you. What we know is that Paul didn't say all the men and the women are going to become exactly alike. That's not what he meant. He didn't mean that there won't be different levels of economic work. And he didn't mean that there wouldn't be Jewish people and there wouldn't be people who aren't Jews. But what he meant was that God loves them all. And we need to take that call seriously. Finally, number four. You maybe heard a hint of this in the kids' talk. If we're going to be living out of the old and into the new, we need to never think that any contribution is too small to make a difference. Because it's never, if it's a contribution that's done through the Spirit and in the name of the Lord and for the Lord's work, something a good, a new thing that Jesus wants to bring in, wants to see become larger as the old passes away. If it's that, no matter how small it is, we know that God will take it and do greater things with it. Our kids' gift, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. It was a great time Saturday of some folks coming by and dropping off their kids' gift. But our kids' gift, you think, just these little coins, maybe a bill or two, but it usually it makes noise when it hits the bucket. You think, what difference would that make? But in reality, when we look back over the years, it's been thousands of dollars that have gone to take care of children in the Dominican Republic 
We think about our benevolence ministry, which sends a sack of groceries out the door. And, and those people don't have any idea, once they let it go, what it does. But it invests in the idea that God doesn't want you to go without. We don't know all that God's doing that. If I am a Bible class teacher, let's say maybe you're one of the Bible class teachers for our new Limitless Kids program for our special needs children. You say, what am I doing? What am I investing in? I can't see that it makes any difference. And yet what I know is, is that every word spoken for God, of God, to any of his children, no matter what, the promise of Scripture is that that seed will grow and produce fruit. Never, ever think that if you're pointing in the right direction and you're giving it to God, it is too small and too insignificant. Titus wants to say it this way, Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. And we come around the table today. You come around your table today because you want to proclaim that God's grace has appeared in the form of Jesus Christ. Amen? And you want to make having having this meal with him central to your life. It trains us to reject godless ways and worldly desires and then to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Where and when? In this present age. And as you take in the bread and as you take in the cup, I want you to think a little bit about, here's the new coming in. Lord, help the new to drive out the old. And finally, as we wait, as we wait for the fulfillment of our hope in the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We partake of the supper and we remember in a lot of ways and for a lot of reasons. I hope that your heart can be turned to the idea that as we come to the table because of the gracious gift and as we take it in, it becomes part of God's newness in us that we can let it be just this little moment of investment, this little moment, this shadow, this foreshadowing of the hope that is to come that we will never let go. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving
Pray with me, please. Father God, we thank you for the day that you've given us, the blessings you provide us, Lord. Father, we ask that you would bless this bread, the body of your son that was hung on the tree for us, that was sacrificed for us, that was beaten for us, Lord. We, all we can say is thank you. Through your son's name we pray, amen. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Is not the blood that we is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share one loaf. Father God, we come before you again to ask your blessings on this cup, the blood of your son, the blood that washes us whiter than snow. We ask that we've taken these things in manner pleasing to you. Through your son's name we pray. Amen. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then burned forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost his grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious you've been blessed this morning. Uh, we're going to take a moment for some special prayers. This week we're introducing this month's uh, mission emphasis. Our kids gift uh, we've been talking about for a couple of weeks now has been uh, collecting and, and we, we had several come up this week and I know that there are more out there who didn't have an opportunity to turn that in. Uh, on Saturday and, and we hope that we can facilitate getting those gifts in and moms and dads I hope you're making sure every week that you help your kids learn that discipline of giving even if we don't have this setting but all of that money goes to help with our efforts in the Dominican Republic and you've heard his name before Joaquin and his wife Arcelina Joaquin Reyes Para um, and they have of course under the the quarantine had had not been able to have the schools that we normally support with that money but what we know is is that those uh, funds are going to help uh, get food stuffs together 
and uh, particularly the school where the Haitian children attend. Again, many of them come from very difficult circumstances, and, and those foods, they're now going, doing the extra effort to take those goods out and make sure that they get them in their hands, uh, in the hands of those kids wherever they may be until the school can get back together. We appreciate all that Joaquin is doing, and, and, and in reality, all the churches that he works with around Santiago and, and uh, we're thankful for the work that's done there. And we have a special blessing today. Our special prayer will be worded this morning uh, by Joaquin himself. Let's pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunities you gave us to be alive. We lift your name on high and we ask you blessings to all of us today as we bring our love and our worship to you may your name be glorified pray that you be with all the people who meet at Lake Jackson Church that you bless all the family bless all the people around the world so everybody will be healthy and safe during this time of crisis I do pray that everything we do in this earthly life will be on the benefit of the people in order for them to know about Jesus and to have the kingdom on their heart. I pray that you continue blessing Lake Jackson Church and all the members. Pray that you give us wisdom how to go about situations and help us always to be all together to that day when you come back and gather us and take us to heaven. Be with us today, Jesus' name I pray, amen. And we all say amen, and I wonder if that rooster was about to become dinner. Uh, some things that on our prayer list we want to remind you of, again, be sure you download the Caring and Sharing. First of all, uh, we want to be thankful that Lydia Thomas, uh, Chiffon York's mother, is back home from St. Luke's having uh, had a pacemaker put in and is recovering from that surgery. We want to continue to remember Meg Scott who continues to struggle with lung issues and is on oxygen full time now and we need to keep her in our prayers. Uh, Alan Lee, some of you know that Alan Lee, uh, Robin and Donna Marie's son, has returned to Texas and is in the area and there's is going through some some difficult but also some hopeful developments right now and and Robin and Donna Marie ask us to pray specifically for Alan. We're thankful that Vicki Wunderlich was able to come home this week, but is also headed back and should be headed back once a week for continuing her chemo treatments. Uh, Sharon got to see her yesterday, and, and she said she looks really great, so we're really thankful for that. Also, uh, we've been praying for the Justin Mueller and his family, uh, who is one of the police officers that was shot in San Marcos, and we are very thankful that this week he got to go back home to be with his family. We're really thankful for that. Speaking of going home, we want to celebrate with Billy and Cindy Yates that Bill Yates, who, uh, Billy's father, who's been in ill health for a long time, uh, although it was sudden and, and not expected, uh, he passed away, I believe, on Thursday of this week. Uh, Billy and Cindy, I should be there by now, but we want to keep them in our prayers. But, but the first thing Cindy told me when she heard was he's, he's, he's finally where in, entered into his rest that he's been looking for for a long time. He's there with God, and we're very thankful for that the old is past and the new has come you heard that phrase several times this morning the question is is that 
a personal part of your life. Have you moved from death to life? Have you moved from the brokenness of sin to the wholeness that God wants you? If there's any way that we can help you in that process, do not hesitate to reach out to us through any of our contact methods. Make no mistakes. This virus won't keep us from baptizing somebody that wants to put Christ on in baptism.